Hello, welcome to Gunfighter Cast, episode number 109, and continuing with our little series on medical and uh, medical training and preparedness and all that good stuff. I've got a ninja here with me today, Jason Rosa. Hey, Jason, how are you doing? Daniel, doing well. Thank you for having me on. I really do appreciate the opportunity. Man, thanks for coming on and uh, and joining me all the way from the left coast. Uh, how is it out there? Uh, just another day in paradise, man. You can't get any better than Monterey, California, I'll tell you that. That's awesome. Hey, we uh, in, in the, the way we do this show normally is we just jump right into whatever we're talking about and don't mess around. But I, before we do that and you tell us how awesome you are, uh, this show is made possible by Bravo Concealment, bravoconcealmentholsters.com. Go check those out. I've been uh, carrying the uh, DOS inside the waistband holster for a while. Love it. It's awesome. There's a... Uh, a lot of good holster options out there, magazine pouches, everything else. Bravo is one of the leaders in the holster manufacturing industry. They'll make a good holster for you, and they have an amazing uh, guarantee made 100% in the USA down there in Texas uh, by some great individuals. And you can use the coupon code GUNFIGHTER and get 10% off of anything there at bravoconcealment.com. So go do that and support the show. Thanks. Jason, who are you, and uh, why are you qualified to be here on GunfighterCast talking about plugging wounds? All right, uh, a little down and dirty on myself. I did uh, 10 years active duty Navy uh, with uh, as a Navy dive medic with SEAL and EOD teams. I uh, got out in 2010 and joined up with uh, Deployment Medicine International. Some some people will know the name of uh, John Hagman. I uh, spent some time under his tutelage, um, made some uh, amazing connections through there with some, like, uh, you, you call me a ninja, and, and, and I have to bow down to a lot of the people that I worked with. You know, it's just... Uh, uh, it was a very uh, uh, wonderful experience, uh, you know, getting to learn from those guys. Because I mean, uh, the kind of know, people I'm, that you hang out with, and you just can't help but get smarter every day. I, I know right. the, I know the feeling. Yeah. Oh man, most of the stuff that I'm going to talk about today, I stole from those guys. So let's uh, let's let's call it how it is. I mean, those guys. There's a lot of good people out there, and I, I was fortunate enough to uh, glean from their intellect. Um, and then plus my personal experience. Uh, after I got out in uh, 2010, like I said, I was working with DMI for a while. Went on with the uh, Department of Corrections here in California as a, a CERT team medic and really stood up their, their CERT team uh, medic program. Uh, still uh, affiliate with the boys there at uh, uh, the Department of Corrections CERT team out of uh, Soledad. So i got to give those guys a plug because those guys are phenomenal. Um, uh, now I'm currently working as an executive protection agent and emergency response team uh, medic uh, for AS Solutions, another group of uh, consummate professionals. And, uh, yeah, that's what I'm doing now. Still teaching uh, and still teaching medicine. So yeah, I'm, I'm still in the, uh, in, in that, uh, in that world. Jason, I'm going to ask you, uh, some similar questions that I asked uh, a guest I had on the last episode, Carrie Davis from Dark Angel Medical, a good friend of mine. And, uh, you know, he's been on the show a couple times now and, you know, he's just out there preaching the, uh, the, the trauma gospel all the time and doing his thing. Yeah. I, I'm curious your answers to these things, if they're going to be similar or different or your take, because the way the, the firearms industry, for example, there is a huge disparity from one instructor to another, even if we're talking about how to press a trigger or how to, how to apply the, the, what are the fundamentals of shooting accurately? Uh, there will be arguments. People are mad. People take people <laughs> off Christmas lifts. All those things happen in the firearms industry, uh, but it's a little bit different in, in your industry. So, uh, and I basically was going to ask these questions to see where the conversation goes and, uh, we don't have a script. That's the way it rolls. So, uh, in terms of medical training, what should, what do you think everybody should know? Not your guys out there slinging lead and, and on special teams and everything else, but your average everyday person who takes responsibility for their own safety. You know, um, I, I've actually been given this a lot of thought lately because I've been, um, 
engaged in these conversations, you know, talking about uh, a, a training and and uh, mm-hmm. where it should go to what levels and so on and so forth. Um, and, and honestly, uh, my take on it is this. Um, what we're dealing with when we're looking at uh, trauma, uh, whether it be, uh, you know, um, on the streets, guts and grenade pins or, you know, uh, natural disasters even, um, what we're looking at is mechanical injuries um, that need to be dealt with in order of, of uh, uh, life-threatening wounds. So in essence, uh, you could almost say that you can approach any traumatic injury, whether it be uh, you know, due to a, a ballistic-type injury or a penetrating trauma or anything else like that you know, from, again, natural disasters. I mean, we can go down the whole list of, of possibilities. But you can essentially take the same approach um, and give that to the layperson of tactical medicine using TCCC guidelines, using that March algorithm, and the job gets done. Because what it comes down to is keeping blood in the body, going round and round, and, and air coming in and out. Um, and as long as you develop the proper reactionary skills to those types of injuries, um, then you're buying that patient valuable minutes, if not hours. Again, if, if somebody has the basic understanding of what they're doing. Um, and with that, like I said, it's, it's reactionary medicine. Um, and it's one thing to teach the, uh, you know, ABCs and, 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 you know, the steps from one, two, and three. But it's another thing to actually uh, apply those skill sets properly. So, uh, you know, we, like you, you had mentioned earlier that there's a lot of disparity with uh, the way people train and everything else. And I don't think it's necessarily like, uh, you know, somebody's teaching something different because when it comes down to this type of medicine, everybody's putting out good information. Everybody's putting out the same information. Um what I see falling short is you can have somebody that's a phenomenal medic, phenomenal shooter, uh, operator, demo guy, whatever it is, you know, whoever you've got on your team, they might be the freaking bees knees in their industry. But some of those guys have uh, difficulty in being able to relay the important pieces of what they do. Um, you know, so there's some guys that are good at it and some guys that are, that are bad. Uh, for me, like I said, I am I am definitely not the sharpest tool in the shed, but I've been fortunate enough to be around some really sharp instruments, and I've uh, been smart enough to at least you know pull from them what works, and and being able to relay that to people. Um, so again, when we're talking uh, this type of medicine, when we're looking at trauma um, at the point of injury where reactionary skill sets need to come into play, it's a matter of proper uh, practicing the proper uh, procedures and, and doing it right as opposed to just learning from a slide or learning from somebody else's regurgitating information and isn't very effective at expressing the proper techniques. Because that's where all this stuff is. It's all technique driven. You know, we've got all these, uh, um, you know, uh, hemostatic agents and all this other kind of stuff. But I can guarantee you right now, if somebody knows how to properly pack a wound, it doesn't matter if they're using strip, uh, ripped up socks and underwear or if they're using heat sack agent. If they're doing it right, they'll achieve the result. Again, reactionary and results-based medicine. So it's a matter of having somebody get that practical application and, and practice to make them effective. Now, can we go running around and give everybody you know real bleeds and stuff like that to work with? As much as I would like to be able to do that, probably out of the question. But what we can do is put guys out there that have that experience 
and be able to get them to relay that information and get them to ensure that they're doing those procedures properly, where that layperson who comes in off the street with no uh, backstory whatsoever can walk in with a good instructor and a decent piece of kit as far as practicing a wound pack um, and walk away from that going, hey, I've got a general idea of how it should feel. And then, you know, moving forward, they can at least, again, develop the right reactions to injuries that they see. So that's that's kind of my take on that. Yeah, it, and a lot of the stuff isn't the most complicated thing ever. And, you know, even seeing it is a step. You know, okay, maybe I oh, can yeah. fumble through that. You know, and uh, I could maybe I won't do it perfect, but I could maybe make a difference. And then, you know, after you've done some practical application, even on some moulage or some training aids, you know, you got a little bit another step in it. So uh, basically you say all that to say, go get some training by somebody who knows what they're doing. Right. (laughs) Uh, So you mentioned the the March algorithm and uh, Carrie mentioned that in the last podcast, too. Could could you run through that quickly? The uh, what that is, what that means to the person out there that may not understand the March system? Uh, so the March algorithm uh, was developed off of the combat mortality curve. So they did a lot of studies, a lot of data been uh, been being pulled from uh, since Vietnam. And what they were looking at is battlefield injuries specifically um, and the order of precedence in, in, in which people die. So you have your, your, you know, your basic timeline. And then from that, you, uh, that, that timeline, uh, you can kind of glean like the hundred percent of injuries and where they fall in, into, um, that mortality curve. So March, uh, basically stands for massive bleeding. So the first thing that people usually die from is massive bleeds. Hey, you know, you got a, a big hole in a big pipe. Um, you're going to bleed out real quick. Um, anywhere from, you know, I mean the, the average, the, the gold standards, like, you know, the eight minutes or whatever, six to eight minutes, um, but, you know, there's a lot of other factors that, that, that carry into that. But nonetheless, you're looking at a, a serious uh, bleed. Yeah, you're looking at six to eight minutes. So you, that's why that's first in the, in the March algorithm. First thing to take care of is life-threatening bleeding. Uh, then the airway, straightforward. We want to make sure that the patient can actually at least move air in and out. And, and realistically, when we're looking at uh, in terms of, 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 of uh, tactical medicine, uh, when, when, the, when the tactics allow you to do the medicine – um, and that's the other thing I think is kind of funny. A lot of people are like, oh, it's tactical medicine. Well, yeah, it's it's the medicine that's done when the tactics allow you to do medicine. If you're doing any tactics and trying to do medicine at the same time, you're wrong. Um, you know, the, the best the, first aid is security, right? You know, care under and, fire, maybe a tourniquet, possibly, if you have security. Yeah, exactly, exactly. And and a lot of times, because when we're uh, teaching, uh, uh, you know, the, the active shooter scenarios, um, I'm trying to instill on guys to run, blow by those guys that are injured and, and get after the shooter because every minute that goes by, there's rounds going off and there's people going down. So anyways, uh, going down that March algorithm, it's massive bleeds, airway. We've got to make sure air can go in and out pretty straightforward, quick sweep, turn the guy on the side, make sure gravity allows if the guy's not uh, breathing on his own. And then R, uh, you know, I always like to use the, the adage, uh, you know, ribs, you know, and that gets people to think of that container. You know, so when you get to R, think ribs, top to bottom, front to back, side to side, uh, you know, make sure that people are doing a thorough search. Um, and that's another thing that I, that I see a lot of in training is is uh, people get complacent um, in their approach when they're when they're doing their searches, when they're doing their practice. They're, you know, they're, they're halfway, you know, pulling up somebody's shirt and going, oh, well, I'd look around the back. It's like, no, 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 no. 
Again, muscle memory. I want you to get down there. I want you to pull the guy's shirt all the way up. I want you to look top to bottom, not just putting your hands on there, but putting your hands everywhere your eyes or, or putting your eyes everywhere your hands are going. Um, you know, because again, now if we're talking operators, then yeah, austere environments, they're on NBGs, all that kind of good stuff. Um, so again, it's still really important to reinforce. I mean, doing that tiger paw sweep, um, yeah, if the guy's got big gaping holes, fine. Um, you know, you're going to be able to dig your your, uh, your fingers in there and find those. But, um, you know, that's not always the case. So it's always uh, very important to make sure that people are practicing those proper procedures, getting their eyes in. Uh, when you, again, back to airway real quick, when somebody opens up their airway, kissing distance. And I tell that to people every time. And then when I teach a class, I see people stand way back. I'm like, no, no, no. No, no, no. If the guy is unconscious, you've got to put your eyes in there and make sure you can see and visualize. Um, you know, so again, it, it's a matter of, of really reinforcing those those uh, those key components on uh, different training sets. Uh, so R, you know, I, I always like to, to use that ribs. You know, when I get to R, I think ribs, top to bottom, front to back, you know, uh, side to side, making sure your patient roll your patient over. Anything that that's open. Recent research I've been doing, uh, AHA, because again, we're looking and, and talking about ex getting this info information out to civilians. Um, so they fall under the different you know, skill sets, right? So we're looking at um, Red Cross, American Heart Association, being the government body on uh, first aid. Okay, so the other beautiful thing about uh, TCCC is pretty much all those skill sets fall under first aid. You know, so you can teach all those skill sets, not necessarily TCCC uh, platform, but you can give them still the same pearls of wisdom and knowledge base uh, using that TCCC algorithm. Um, so, and they're all first aid skill sets. Like I said, putting a tourniquet on, first aid. Wound packing, that's first aid. Uh, airway, uh, clearing out obstructions and laying somebody on their side, that's first aid. Uh, now, where we find some disparity in, in what... I'd be interested to talk to, and I've, I've already had the discussion, I already know where it would go with, with other surgeons, um, but when we're talking uh, whether to seal or not to seal, the uh, first aid guidelines say right now, they're like, hey, don't seal it, um, we don't want to lose stress, and again, this is what I, what I looked at off the American Heart Association uh, website, and I disagree with that. Their whole thing is, is that if you seal the chest, that it's going to lead to uh, attention pneumo. Well, the nice thing about that is tension pneumos take a long freaking time to develop unless the guy's got a massive wound to his freaking lungs. So we're talking uh, maybe an hour, hour or two. Uh, when we look at the timeline for active shooters and then the, uh, for, for emergency services to be able to get in to get to those patients, longest we're looking at is maybe an hour to the point where that patient would actually start developing symptoms. So worst case scenario, that guy's got a seal that somebody, a, a lay person, placed a seal on somebody's chest. When they go to turf that guy off to the medic, you know, and hopefully at least give that medic a, a good pass down. If not, the medic being a good medic does his thorough searches, finds that the guy has an occlusive seal and says, aha, he had an injury here. Now he's starting to present like he's got attention. Easy day. Medics can do needle D's. And that's the easiest thing that they can do. And we can needle D somebody all day long. I'd rather deal with it with having to give somebody a needle D than, you know, the other complications of an open wound. So, um, so that's R, ribs, top to bottom, front to back. My thing on it, and, and I'll probably get some flack on this one, is, is I say seal it. Seal it every time. That's something I can deal with later on as a medic. If I roll up, I know I'm going to check every patient. 
and I'll deal with those those issues. From what I'm uh, hearing, I don't think you'll get any flack. I think a lot most of the guys that are teaching it are, are all about sealing it, and they they believe to include that in that kit and have it with you and know how to do it. You know? Oh yeah, I don't know, absolutely. But again, what we're looking at is. Uh, there's, you know, uh, uh, American Heart Association and National Registry. Everybody wants to get their Dick Skinners involved in our, and, and, and what's really good medicine. And we all know that there's that that slow transition from military medicine that's effective and works. So we saw it in Boston with uh, all of a sudden, you know, there's that, that big change because all of a sudden they, they realized, holy shit, they were using tourniquets in Boston and they were effective and they were saving lives. And now all of a sudden it's like... You know, AHA, I think uh, the first aid guideline says, okay, well, you can use a tourniquet, but they still want you to use that old school mentality. You know, you start, uh, you know, two to three inches above the wound and then work your way up. Um, yeah, kiss my ass. You know, we all know anatomy. And if you go as high as possible, you have to, you know, and we're talking about extremity bleeds, of course. You know, there's there's something to that. But nonetheless, go as high as possible, as tight as possible. If you, uh, and, and that's another thing is, is uh, I think a lot of, people uh, kind of forget to mention is the two is one, one is none. Because, uh, you know, if that first tourniquet doesn't work, uh, you know, a lot of people always, you know, you carry a tourniquet, carry a tourniquet. Don't just carry one tourniquet, carry two. Because if the first one's not effective, you put a second one on, I have yet to see. And now that I say that, you know, somebody's going to come out and go, ah, aha, I had to use three. You were wrong. But nonetheless, I have yet to see a second tourniquet not be effective on, on an extremity bleed. Um, you know, again, I'm, I'll wait for the flack on that one. But uh, I personally have yet to see it. So uh, one is none, two is one, carry two, um, and stand by to stand by. Uh, so, so then there, there's, there's your R and then we get to, uh, C what we you know, which is basically our circulation, uh, prevent shock, things of that nature. Um, and, and really, so I like to, to clump a few things into C. Um, and again, if we're thinking, uh, you know, and, and I know, I know the audience that we're talking to, but again, if we're thinking we've got time to work on somebody, C is my catch all. That's when I start working on the distracting ones, you know, the, uh, the big hunk of flesh, you know, uh, hanging off somebody, uh, things of that nature. I'll start dressing those. If they weren't massively bleeding. Cause again, the only thing I'm interested in when I first start my mouth algorithm is what's life threatening. Those massive bleeds, nose bleed type. I mean, if it's oozing out and, and it's moving out at a, at a slow pace, I'm not too worried about it. And again, again, unless the guy's sitting by a huge pool of blood, then that tells me, well, most of it's blood. He's already exsanguinated enough to where it's slowed to that point. I'll change my perspective on that. You know, and uh, it's it's kind of hard to address everything when we're doing a little quick discussion. But nonetheless, lots of things in there. Uh, so so I use that as my catch-all. That's where I'll deal with like the eviscerations. If if the guy's got an evisceration, I'll start uh, you know thinking about. Uh, 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 you know, doing some splinting work and things of that nature. You know, again, just bandaging and starting at C. That's when I'm actually starting to package my patient up. Really, that's when I'm putting on those pressure dressings. And even within that, when I talk about pressure dressings, because if we're looking at the March algorithm as it is, uh, whatever was massively bleeding, I threw a tourniquet on or I wound packed first. Now's the time that I would back up, even if I, there's a tourniquet on a wound uh, and and controlling the bleed. Now I'm still going to focus on that bleeder first and put a pressure dressing on that. So that way, if for whatever reason I go to move my patient and I lose my tourniquet, then I've got something backing it up. 
And because again, uh, as as uh, having a little bit of medical experience, we always know that first clot's the best clot. So I want to do everything in my power to make sure that that first clot stays. Uh, you know, so I back those things up with pressure dressings, and then work through that march algorithm again. I double check the airways. You know, it's my catch-all. Um, and then you get to, to head and hypothermia. You know, uh, lots of lots of things that go into that. The biggest thing is is, is giving people enough of a skill set or an understanding to recognize that somebody might have a head injury. What's that going to change for them in the field? Very little, if anything. The only thing you can do in the field is if the guy's shocky and he's got possible head injuries, you kind of taco fold them so their head's slightly elevated and their legs are up to keep those vital organs perfused. Um, but the biggest goal is to uh, minimize that intracranial pressure. You know, so, so when we're thinking of head injuries, we're thinking of that. And then ultimately, uh, if we have that consideration that somebody may have a head injury, we want to get them turfed off right away. It's the guys with head injuries that will end up sustaining long-term damage if they prolong care. And, you know, again, that's the whole differentiation. It's like, you know, somebody, uh, a civilian side, you know, gets a patient, they're doing the, the standard uh, protocols. But if you can key those medics into the fact that, hey, not only does this guy have a, a hole in his chest, you know, but, uh, you know, there, there was a blast that went off first. You know, they kicked off an IED and he was near that blast. Um, you know, so that can definitely contribute to, you know, loss of consciousness and a few other things. Um, and then hopefully if that medic's really thinking, he'll be like, blast injury, he's unconscious, Anne's got a couple holes. Yeah, let's take him to a trauma center that can deal with head injuries. Um, you know, and again, that's that's always going to be a, uh, a fine line to walk, you know, a, those medics receiving mass casualty incidents and they're, they're pulling a lot of patients. Whew, I feel for those men. So, and then again, you know, the usual package them up, you know, uh, as, as uh, comfortable as we can be, especially in a stressful environment, we'll be warm, we'll be hot, we'll be freaking sweating. Uh, a patient that's bled out, uh, you know, uh, almost a liter, 800, 800 cc's or something to that effect. Um, that's going to incrementally start dropping their uh, temperatures. And there is uh, studies that have been done. I don't have the, the data in front of me, but there's a direct correlation between uh, lower body temperatures and mortality. Um, you know, so obviously, I mean, we're talking, you know, severe, uh, you know, numbers there. But can it happen out here in the civilian setting? Absolutely. Uh, we know when we're talking about earthquakes, things of that nature. Um, and then people having prolonged exposure to the environments and then prolonged uh, evac times to getting into EMS. Um, these are all still things that are, that are very practical. So, again, uh, to answer your question, what do people need to know? All of it. <laughs> I mean, as much as we can give them, uh, you know, I'm a big proponent of and, and much like everybody else in this industry is this, like you said it earlier, you know, uh, this is the church of, of trauma medicine, you know, and I'm just one of the preachers and I want to spread the word to everybody. Um, I don't see any reason why anybody shouldn't have this. And I think you were, it was either you or, or your other uh, guy that you had on there uh, uh, from Dark Angel um, was talking about his, his, his uh, daughter being able to do tourniquets. Um, same thing. My son's been there on, on a few of my uh, courses and my live tissue courses, and uh, he can get his hands bloody and plug holes and do what he needs to do and keep people breathing. So uh, one thing that he did mention that, that – and even after our conversation, I, I, I need to actually put in effect, but uh, his daughter carries uh, tourniquets. Yeah. Brilliant. Actionable, right? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Why, didn't, why haven't I thought about that? Now I've got to go upstairs and get in my kit and get uh, – 
get my son a couple tourniquets and then throw them in his bag and, uh, you know, make sure he's got those at the ready because, uh, unfortunate world that we live in. I mean, that's, they're, they're at the point of, uh, of injury. So there's the, always the potential that they could use that more than we would. Hey, let me ask you uh, this question. Uh, a friend of ours, colleague of yours, basically taught me a class on this a, a while back and it kind of blew my mind because I, I, I thought I had the combat lifesaver stuff and you know, had some pretty good information and pretty good training on it. And, uh, and I was just being taught a lot of times like what to do, but not really why. You know, when he explained to me uh, why the first clot is the best clot, I was like, that is cool. I got to research that a little bit more. That's interesting. I had no idea that was why and what that was the case is. And that's why we don't want to roughhouse the patient and everything else. You know, it's uh, it was. Can you explain that a little bit? Why the first clot is the best clot? Oh, absolutely. So, um, basically, there's a whole lot of physiology in our body. Our bodies are amazing. That's what I got into medicine. Uh, amazing biodynamic machines that that uh, on the fly can recognize issues. Uh, well, basically, what happens and and I, I trust me, I am barneying this down. Big time. Um, but basically what happens is your body recognizes there's a bleed going on in the body somewhere, right? So in order to combat that and slow that bleed, it releases uh, these clotting factors, okay? And it starts this cascade. It's called the clotting cascade, and there's seven clotting factors. And once that initiates, okay, so it starts initiating, and then basically what happens is it sends these, these, um, these signals in the bloodstream, if you will, and basically, uh, what these signals say is it says to the platelets, it says, hey, platelets, we've got a bleed, time to form a clot. So the platelets start coming together and they form like little Velcro-like projections. Um, uh, I've got a great slide of it, but basically, if you would imagine um, like little balls of Velcro, that's what the, vel- the uh, platelets turn into. Um, and basically, that hap- what, ha- what happens then is they, they're allowed to lock themselves together and they come together and they'll form a nice big clot. Well, at the same time that we have the clotting cascade initiating, we have the anti-clotting cascade happening. Because your body recognizes I can't be throwing clots everywhere and then, you know, having an aneurysm in my brain brain or a clot or something like that. So it throws these anti-clotting factors in at the same time. So they usually start, I think, and and, and forgive me, again, some would probably call me on it, but I think once the, the, the fourth or fifth clotting factor starts cascading, that's when the anti-clotting factors start kicking in. So so the goal is, like you were saying, is uh, to initiate that first clot, let it form, um, and, and be very cautious with it. Because again, now if we lose that clot, then those anti-clotting factors are still in the bloodstream long after that first clot's formed. So you can, yes, can you still form a clot after that? Yes, but it becomes very, very difficult to do so. So basically the body creates a mechanism to help clotting initially, and then so your body doesn't completely clot, it starts fighting clotting. So getting that next clot is going to be much more difficult because you got to defeat science. Exactly. Uh, (laughs) Yeah, that's major Barney style for us. Uh, but that's the way I understand it. I look at the big pictures. You know, I've read it before, and I can, you know, uh, pull it back up and recite it for you later. But you know, for everybody out there that needs to know, yeah, basically you're working against your adding anti-clotting factors, and that's why our first clot's the best clot. What do we leave out that uh, that somebody needs to know? You know, again, uh, just like uh, uh, the other guys have been out there, and everybody else says, it's just you know. Go out there and practice it. Do it, live it, learn it, and, and do it. Um, the same thing. Uh, see one, do one, teach one. All those things apply. Whether it's shooting, whether it's medicine, whether it's uh, 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 you know doing uh, homework and stuff. You know, it, it's just a matter of repetition. Uh, you know, martial artists do it all the time. You know, you, you see guys out there. Um, 
uh, you know, in MMA and everything, but uh, they don't get to the ring just by uh, jumping in there after, you know, one day's lessons. Um, they learn the stuff, they practice it, then they start sparring with somebody before they get into the ring. Um, you know, shooters, you know, we start off with the fundamentals, you know, uh, that, that grip, you know, stance, all those things apply before you're starting to run and gun and make call. Same thing with the medicine. You know, it's one thing to, to look at it, but then it's also another thing we need to practice it. Guys need to practice, 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 just as much as they do with their guns. They need to practice with the medicine. I've seen a big shift in that now. It used to be, uh, like, when I first started in the Navy and I was with, uh, you know, with the platoons and stuff, you know, I was always, you know, like a little pipsqueak running around. I'm like, hey, guys, can we practice medicine? And I'm like, get out of here, doc, and there's, you're in my way. And I was like, but, but, but we can practice medicine. Like, get away from me. So, so I've always have been having to combat that. And But, of course – you know, once, uh, you know, it got real and, and uh, the boys were going down range and, and uh, getting jacked up, then there was that transition. Um, you know, so from, from the elitist of the elite, uh, you know, they saw that, you know, it went from uh, medicine kind of being on the back burner. And of course, you know, there's always some guys out there, some leaders that, that, that recognize the importance of it and would still kind of do it. But now more so than ever, I see that across the board, everybody recognizes you know, that medicine's a key component in what we do. Um, you know, I, I, I forget um, the uh, the general's name, uh, but a Civil War general, um, and and this kills me right now. I can't I can't think of his name. I should have looked this up before I, I got on here. Uh, but he was a big proponent of using tourniquets, and um, he had all his troops and his unit carrying tourniquets. Well, the problem was once he got shot, he had a tourniquet in his in his pocket and never put it to use. So he died of a bleeder that would have been stopped by a tourniquet. Uh, so, so again, it's, let's not just preach it, let's do it. Um, you know, I'm guilty of it myself. The only time I really get to practice when I'm teaching classes, fortunately, I teach classes fairly often. Uh, so, so there's that. And then, uh, you know, again, the nature of my work, I'm always carrying my kit. Uh, you know, so I've always got it at the ready and I've had plenty of opportunities to practice, but I, I could always use a little bit more. And, you know, we encourage you guys out there listening to have a kit at the ready as well. But even, you know, more importantly than that, have the training. Because if uh, if you have the training that you can't forget at home, that you can't forget when you go into that place, you have it with you, you didn't leave it in the car, it's weightless, it's with you everywhere you go, uh, the world can essentially become your medical kit. So uh, go out there and, and find some good training. And, you know, whoever it is, there's, there's a lot of good resources, and it seems to be growing from my perspective of the resources for training out there. Do you have any places you recommend for training? Uh, yeah, definitely. Uh, 2SRG out of Vegas. Uh, Dave Morehouse runs that, that program. I'm affiliated with them. They're phenomenal outfit. Uh, uh, Reese uh, Williams is out there as well. He's a great guy, great resource. Bottom line is, the, the, now here's the other thing. You know, it's um, you know, one thing to plug you know, uh, you know, certain companies or whatever. But bottom line, uh, all the information is the same. It really is. TCCC, it's all the same. Wherever you go, just go somewhere and get it. Um, that's my thing, you know, again, uh, like I said, you know, the, the, the church of trauma medicine, um, everybody's preaching the same thing pretty much. Um, I, I, I have come across a few things where it kind of raises my eyebrows and I'm like, well, uh, wait a second, uh, uh, little, little tids of bits here and there. Uh, but for the most part, I would say, I, I'd say 98% of the guys out there are doing good work and they're putting out good information. Uh, so for everybody, yeah, uh, put medicine on, on the top of your list and go out there and get some training. 
Awesome. Jason, thanks for joining us tonight. That's a lot of good information. I think the people are going to get a lot out of that. You know, I learned a few things myself, so it's always a pleasure to talk to you. If you ever have anything in the future you need to talk about or something going on, feel free to let me know, and I'm sure everybody will want to hear about it. Awesome. Daniel, again, hey, thank you for having me on. I really appreciate it, and uh, look forward to doing some more with you, and and hopefully uh, getting this out to, like you said, the people that need it, like in the uh, school systems and uh, school districts. Uh, yeah, I would love to see these people getting some training and, and getting to practice at this. Guys, remember to go shop at bravoconcealment.com. Use that coupon code gunfighter uh, and get 10% off. Also, support gun podcasts or firearms and defense and medical related podcasts. One of the ways I do it is I support Paul Carlson at the Safety Solutions Academy on Patreon. I also support the We Like Shooting podcast on Patreon. I give them a dollar an episode they put out. So if you'll do the same thing for them, and if you'd like to to pledge a dollar to my show, I'm going to keep putting out shows for free, but I appreciate the assistance. Jason? Gunfighter cast out.